Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Our scripture today comes again from the Gospel of John. During this season of Lent, there are four weeks that we have these great narratives from John's Gospel, and this is the second of those four weeks. Today we are in chapter four, and though your bulletin says that we will start with verse five, I'm actually going to back up and start with verse three. So I invite you to listen for God's word to you today in these selected verses from John chapter 4. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he he will proclaim all things to us. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bridge in Florida called the Sunshine Skyway that crosses the Tampa Bay, connecting two parts of Florida on the western side of the peninsula. The bridge is a cable-stayed bridge just over four miles long, and it reaches a height of 430 feet. According to the Florida Department of Transportation, the Sunshine Skyway is considered the flagship bridge of Florida and serves as a gateway to Tampa Bay. According to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, the bridge is to be feared. It is so high. Watching a video on the internet, I can see that starting the ascent on the bridge, it looks like you are going to drive straight up into the sky. You can see the road take a sharp upturn making it appear that it goes almost straight up. And it's really not clear what you will get to when you get to the top, since you can't see anything beyond the top of the bridge. To be feared. So when traveling to the vacation, the family vacation spot in Florida, my in-laws will gladly take the longer route that stretches out to the east and then down south before coming back west, all in an effort to avoid the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. No way do they need to go that route if another one is available. The Gospel writer tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. But if we check a first century Palestine map, that's not geographically true. Jesus had two other possible routes, either along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea or along the Jordan River Valley. Geographically, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. And as Joy J. Moore puts it, the last route a Jewish man would take is through Samaria. 
in case you didn't know, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They had a complex history marked by hostility dating back to the split of the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. After the Babylonian exile, the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans, considering them to be unclean. The Jews rebuilt their temple in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans built their temple on Mount Gerizim. The Jews and Samaritans kept their distance and worshipped in their own temples. So if Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria because it was the only possible route geographically, then we are left to wonder, was this a theological necessity? What is Jesus doing? Last Sunday, we read from John 3 and heard the story of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, at nighttime. Scholars have long compared these two stories that we find side by side. Nicodemus was named. He was a male religious leader who approached Jesus at night in the cover of darkness. And at the end of his conversation with Jesus, Nicodemus wonders, how can these things be? By contrast, the woman at the well is female. And her name is not shared with us in the text. She is a Samaritan woman, a hated outsider. The conversation between this woman and Jesus takes place at high noon, arguably the brightest time of the day. And at the end of her conversation with Jesus, the woman proclaims, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? But more than just two opposing people that Jesus encounters, there's an important link between these two conversations. You may recall that when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he talked about God's love for the whole world. God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but God sent the Son in order that the world might be saved through him. And now, Jesus says, in the words of biblical preaching professor Caroline Lewis, you want to know what the world looks like? I'll show you what the world looks like. We're going to Samaria. Jesus did have to go through Samaria, he needed to encounter this woman at the well. The conversation begins with Jesus asking the woman for a drink. And immediately, our alarm bells should be going off, right? This is risky behavior for a Jewish man to be engaging with a woman from the other side, that of the enemy. So the woman's first impression of Jesus is likely that he's a thirsty Jew with no manners. I wonder if you notice that Jesus begins the whole conversation in a state of vulnerability. He wants to open the door to a conversation, a connection. And so he readily asks for what he needs. 
Not long after, the woman realizes that Jesus has something that she needs, water that will quench her thirst. And so the dialogue continues, and the two begin to share some truths. The woman shares the deepest truth of her life, that she has no husband. And Jesus reveals that he knows this and more about her. The Samaritan woman is then careful to point out another truth, that she and Jesus don't come from the same community. She affirms that Jesus must be more than a traditional Jewish man. He must be a prophet. But her people worship where their ancestors worshiped on the mountain in Samaria. And Jesus comes from a people who say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus, our people don't really talk to one another. But Jesus is in this conversation. He's in it to be honest and real. And he begins to share more of his truth explaining that true worship isn't about the place at all, but is about worshiping God in spirit and truth, no matter where you are. The woman shares her faith that she knows the Messiah is coming, and Jesus shares his deepest truth, saying, I am the one who is speaking to you. This is another place where our English translation fails us. The Greek simply says, I am. This is the first of many I am statements in the Gospel of John. And here it is that Jesus says, I am. Helping us to recall the great I am that met Moses. Jesus is more than human. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. I am. And the great I am stopped to ask this woman from Samaria for a drink. In her astonishment, upon realizing who Jesus is, the woman leaves her water jar and goes back to the city, saying to the people, come and see this man. Surely this isn't the Messiah, is it? Because of this dialogue with Jesus, the woman was forever transformed. Their conversation was one of mutuality and reciprocity, one of listening and trust. They were vulnerable with each other. It was real and honest. Could this one who asked me for a drink be the Messiah? Come and see. Jesus needed a witness. And it was in the enemy territory of Samaria that he found one. Samaria was not to be feared. This is the place where we see Jesus shining the light on what it means for him to be the savior of the world. Jesus didn't come to save one group of people or one nation or one religious sect that worshiped at one particular place. 
Jesus came to invite every single person, just as they are, to the beloved community of God. All are welcome, all are invited, all belong, and all are necessary. God so loved the world. Caroline Lewis explains that the world in this case is the last person on the planet you would think God could love. A woman, a foreigner, a Samaritan who has been shunned and shamed for her marital history. Lewis further explains that for John, salvation is not located in the event of the cross, but in the larger reality of God's invitation to relationship, Jesus's invitation to relationship with God. And to be in relationship with God is to be in relationship with all the other people in God's beloved community, including the last person on the planet you would think God could love. Salvation is not located inside a bubble where it's just you and Jesus or you and God. Jesus came to save the whole world. As the witness from Samaria puts it, we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. It was necessary for Jesus to travel through Samaria that day because it was necessary that he meet the Samaritan woman at the well. It was necessary that he start a conversation with her by asking a simple question. Will you give me a drink? The woman's life and her entire community were forever changed that day. But the disciples must have been forever changed that day also, as they watched in amazement as Jesus found his newest disciple, his newest witness, in Samaria. I wonder who would be at the well today, the well that Jesus would make a point to find, the well where Jesus would invite a vulnerable and honest dialogue, the well where Jesus would offer the living water. Would it be a woman who has lost her rights in Afghanistan? Would it be a woman who has lost her autonomy in the United States? Would it be a Russian soldier in Ukraine? Would it be a trans youth in Texas? Would it be a Muslim boy with brown skin? Would it be a, wom a woman who's had five husbands? Would it be a man who has forsaken meaningful relationships for the chance to climb the corporate ladder? Would it be a teenager who's being bullied by his baseball teammates? Would it be you? Do you need to hear that you are enough? Do you need to be reminded that you belong? Do you need to know that you are welcome just as you are? Do you need to hear Jesus' words offering living water? 
And are you being called to be a witness? Whoever it is at the well today, young or old, Jesus already knows their deepest truth. And Jesus will not fear taking the direct route to meet them, to begin a conversation with a simple question like, will you give me a drink? And then Jesus will reveal his deepest truth. I am. I will give you the living water to quench all your thirst. Friends, this Lent, I wonder if you will dare to engage in an honest and vulnerable conversation with God. Will you respond to the conversation starter? Will you give me a drink? What is the question Jesus is asking you to begin a conversation today? As I considered a spiritual discipline for us to consider this week, beyond engaging in a dialogue with God, I noticed verse 40 at the end of our story for today. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. It was part of his mission, part of his call. But Jesus slowed down on the way to Galilee and ended up staying in Samaria for two days. He was a guest of the Samaritans. He didn't just pass through after one conversation. He was there to build relationships. How might you engage in the spiritual practice of slowing this week? What might God have to show you if you slow down? Set your task list aside and go for a walk. Sit on the couch for a bit. Put your electronic devices away. How might God help you curb your addiction to busyness, hurry, and workaholism? How might you learn to savor the moment and seek God's presence? To engage in this practice of slowing, you could Drive in the slow lane on purpose. Take a walk instead of driving. Turn your morning alarm off. Take some extra deep breaths. Stop to look people in the eyes. Linger at the dinner table. Add in some extra buffer time between your meetings and activities. And if you are a person in authority or a supervisor, encourage those with whom you work to take a break. This week, I pray you will open your eyes to God's presence. When God meets you right where you are in the midst of your everyday routines, and in the words of the Reverend Danielle Schroyer, may you be brave enough to ask God for a drink when you need it. In the name of the Holy One who is always seeking us. Amen. 
Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day, and always, always. Amen.